Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up tonight, Facebook and Instagram restoring former President Trump's accounts after a two-year ban. Is he posting on them again? Disney cutting thousands of jobs trying to reduce costs amid streaming competition. We have more on its strategy. Electric car maker Lucid, the latest to enter the EV price war, announcing its own discount if you buy select models. For the first time ever, a Shell shareholder has sued the company's board members personally over their climate policies. The lawsuit may have a broad impact across the energy world. And President Biden calls on lawmakers to pass the Protecting the Right to Organize Act. Opponents of the bill say it could let the government decide the winners of unionization drives. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Former President Trump's accounts on Facebook and Instagram have been restored. Their parent company Meta confirmed the news today. The company suspended his accounts after the January 6th Capitol breach two years ago, even though Trump's last Facebook post called on protesters to remain peaceful. He has not posted on either account yet today. Trump now regains access to key platforms for voter outreach and fundraising ahead of his run for the White House in 2024. As of January, he had over 20 million followers on Instagram and over 30 million on Facebook. Meta warns it could suspend Trump's accounts again if he violates its content policies. Disney announced a major restructuring this week. It plans to cut 7,000 jobs, which it says will save $5.5 billion in costs. The entertainment giant is the latest media company to announce job cuts in response to slowing subscriber growth and increased competition for viewers. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the move. Disney said Wednesday it plans to restructure into three segments, an entertainment unit for movies, television and streaming, a sports-focused ESPN unit, and a parks, experiences and products division. The 7,000 layoffs represent around 3.5% of Disney's global workforce. The order in which they go about this will share a bit of light or shed a bit of light on their priorities for this restructuring. Shares of Disney rose almost 5% at the news. Recently reinstated CEO Bob Iger says streaming will remain Disney's top priority and that the company will focus more on its core brands and franchises. Yeah, this is Iger coming in with sharp knives because he needs to prove a point. And I think Disney got way overdone in terms of hiring on the content side. And it sends a signal, sends a signal internally to the industry as well as Wall Street. The company reported its first quarterly decrease in subscriptions for its Disney Plus streaming service, which lost more than a billion dollars. Warner Brothers and Netflix previously underwent layoffs. If you look across the industry, Disney is not alone. There are a lot of companies right now which are really uh, paying the piper and seeing what they have to do here in order to keep functioning at where they want to be. The restructuring steps also include a promise to reinstate a share of profits and earnings to shareholders. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Shares of beverage giant PepsiCo rose today. The company says it's going to put the brakes on raising prices. That's after multiple rounds of price hikes last year. These price hikes helped it post fourth quarter profit and revenue that beat estimates. With a near duopoly in the carbonated drinks market with Coca-Cola, PepsiCo faced little consumer pushback for price hikes over the last few quarters. Looking at 2023, its CFO says... 
They are still seeing resilient consumer demand, but they're also prepared for a possible economic recession. And in the back half of the year, given interest rates are as high as they are, it wouldn't be shocking if there were a mild recession in, in, uh, in the U.S. and in some of our developed markets. Uh, we, we've taken actions in terms of productivity to make sure in, in a recessionary environment we're still well insulated to hit our numbers. He did say high interest rates could have some impact on its revenue this year. Meanwhile, consumer goods giant Unilever says it's going to keep raising prices this year after hiking them more than 13 percent last quarter. The consumer goods company that makes Dove soaps expects costs to rise in the first half of this year, but then it plans to ease off price hikes in the second half. Despite selling fewer goods last quarter, Unilever did better than expected with sales growth of 9.2 percent. It initially raised prices in 2022 due to the surging costs of ingredients and supply chain issues. The company also had a dramatic year internally with changes to its board and leadership. Shares jumped one and a half percent at market open and closed up less than half a percent. Competition in the electric car industry is heating up, with several car makers offering price cuts. Lucid has joined in by offering a credit of its own. NTD's Char Marshall has more. Lucid Group is the latest car manufacturer to enter the electric vehicle price wars. Today it announced that customers can receive a $7,500 EV credit on the purchase of the award-winning Lucid Air. I spoke with auto expert Lauren Fix for some extra insight into the EV price war. There have been some adjustments to the infrastructure bill and they're now qualifying more vehicles as SUVs to give them a larger uh, window in order to have vehicles that qualify. There were a lot of vehicles that didn't qualify, and that's why Lucid is offering the $7,500 credit. The credit is available for a limited time on select configurations of Lucid Air Touring and Air Grand Touring models until March 31st, 2023. The EV price wars already include Ford Mach-E price cuts ranging from 1.2% to 8.8%, or about $600 to $5,900. Tesla implemented massive price cuts of up to $13,000 on Model 3 and Model Y vehicles in the U.S. The hidden cost of owning an EV may be one of the reasons for the need to push credit incentives. Gasoline prices are now equivalent or less than that of electric vehicles to charge. And a lot of people that have electric vehicles are starting to realize that the insurance rates are higher. Now when you add in all the everyday expenses of charging and insurance, That's making a lot of people think maybe I'll look at a hybrid, which is a great solution. Volvo is one EV maker that has already said it won't be joining the price war. We don't see price cuts at this point in time. Jen Rowan, CEO of Volvo, toyed Reuters. Demand for our battery electric vehicles is the highest that we've ever seen. The backlog for that as well. We don't have any intention to reduce pricing. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And General Motors today announced a long-term deal to secure U.S.-made semiconductors. The deal could help it avoid the chip shortage we saw during the pandemic. The shortage kept millions of cars from being manufactured at that time. Chip maker Global Foundries signed the deal with GM. Global Foundries will dedicate part of an upstate New York factory to make chips for GM. GM is trying to secure long-term chip supply as cars incorporate more technology. It expects the chips they need to keep rising. 
GM rival Ford also signed a deal with Global Foundries in 2021 to secure chip supply. It's estimated that by the end of 2023, almost 18 million vehicles will have been removed from production plants since the chip shortage began. In our special report today, we look at a lawsuit that could have far-reaching implications for how companies tackle the climate. One of Shell's shareholders, a climate activist, is suing the company's board of directors because the shareholder doesn't like Shell's climate strategy direction. This is historic because it's the first time that a company's directors are being personally sued over the climate strategy. This lawsuit's outcome could have broad impacts on corporate climate policy around the world. The shareholder is environmental law firm Client Earth. Client Earth says that Shell's climate strategy fails to adequately reduce emissions and that the strategy leads to continued fossil fuel production for decades. Client Earth says Shell is legally required to manage risks that could harm its future success. And Client Earth sees climate change as the biggest risk. Client Earth also has support. A group of major European institutional investors is backing Client Earth's lawsuit. Together, these investors manage half a trillion dollars of client money. They include British pension funds Nest and CIV French asset manager Sanso IS, Swedish pension fund AP3, and Denmark's Dansk Bank Asset Management. Collectively, these investors own about 0.2% of Shell stock. We reached out to Client Earth, but it did not respond before airtime. A Shell spokesperson said the company does not accept Client Earth's allegations. The spokesperson said Shell's directors have complied with their legal duties and have acted in the best interests of the company. To get a perspective on this, we talked with Shell investor George C. He's the chairman of global investment firm Annadale Capital. He feels the lawsuit has no merit. C says you can't prove damages against a firm based on a hypothetical, theoretical future just because you don't like the decisions they made. He also believes there aren't any actual damages they can actually point to in a material sense. He believes a professional judge would simply throw it out. We also spoke with Daniel Turner, the executive director of Power of the Future. This is a firm that educates people about energy. Turner explains to us that the fossil fuel industry has been trying to conciliate to the environmental left, but things haven't worked out exactly as intended. There's not a lot of common ground to be, find, to be found with these folks. And I think this is a warning that if you, if you try to work with them, they're going to ultimately come after you in the end. The alternative is for the energy industry to do what it does best, which is produce energy. And that lowers costs for all humanity. Uh, it lowers the costs of goods and services. It increases prosperity. Um, and as we've seen, it actually lowers emissions. One of the lawsuit's supporters, Nest CIO Mark Fawcett, says he hopes the whole energy industry takes note of this lawsuit. Win or lose, this will have broad impacts. Future courts will look back at this when deciding lawsuits against other energy companies. And we spoke with energy expert Brent Bennett from the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Bennett says that if client Earth wins, the impact on the business world might be the opposite of what it wants. The companies themselves are trying to have it both ways. They they want to they want to say that they're doing this, that they're going to net zero while still investing in what's profitable for them, right? And and the activists are saying, well, you can't 
you, know, you can't have it both ways. Well, you know, eventually the, the companies the companies are going to either go towards what's profitable or they're going to die. Client Earth filed the lawsuit at the High Court of England and Wales. The High Court now has to decide whether or not to give Client Earth permission to bring the claim. Meanwhile, Shell says it will oppose Client Earth's application to obtain the court's permission to pursue the claim. Moving on to Wall Street, stocks ended lower today, erasing earlier gains. The Dow lost 249 points, or 0.7%. S&P fell 36 points, or 0.9%. And the Nasdaq dropped 121 points, or 1%. In the State of the Union address, President Biden urged lawmakers to pass the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, or PRO Act for short. Biden says the legislation would protect workers' rights. Take a listen. I'm so sick and tired of companies breaking the law by preventing workers from organizing. Pass the PRO Act, because business have a right. Workers have a right to form a union. Proponents of the PRO Act say that the bill would protect workers' rights to organize a union and that unions can help increase wages. The bill would also prevent employers from getting involved in union elections. Those against the PRO Act say it would greatly expand the power of the National Labor Relations Board, and they're concerned that the government would be able to determine the winners of unionization drives regardless of votes. Opponents also worry that the bill would unfairly favor union organizers. Joining me now is Mark Mix. He's the president of the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. Now, Mark... President Biden called on his colleagues uh, in his State of the Union address to pass the PRO Act. Uh, This was on Tuesday. Now, maybe to start off, it's been a while that many of uh, of us have talked about this. Maybe just refresh our memory on what this law does. Yeah, it's not a surprise that uh, President Biden mentioned this in the State of the Union address, because this is one of the promises he made to union officials way back on the campaign trail, that he wanted to pass the so-called PRO Act. And this bill doesn't give individual workers any more rights, but it gives union officials dramatic new powers to force workers into union collectives and union collective bargaining processes. The first thing it does is repeal all 27 right-to-work laws across the country. And those are laws that basically say, if you want to join a union, if you want to support a union, that right is protected. But they also don't contemplate and won't contemplate the idea that a worker could be fired from their job for failure to pay union dues or fees. 23 states still have that privilege for union officials on the books uh, that comes from federal law. But the PRO Act not only would repeal right-to-work laws, it would significantly damage uh, the secret ballot election process for certifying unions. It would allow for secondary boycotts where union officials can attack uh, companies that they want to target and customers of a company they want to target. There's a whole lot of things in there that give union officials dramatic new powers. Mark, you're saying this this legislation takes away workers' rights, but in Biden's address, he said it protects workers' rights. Where is he coming from with this? Well, he's coming from the the talking points of the AFL-CIO is what he's doing. And frankly, when you look at federal law as it relates to union organizing, going all the way back to 1935 and actually 1937, 
when the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the constitutionality of the National Labor Relations Act, union officials have unique powers over workers. The right to organize in this country is not impinged in any way, shape, or form by federal labor policy. What it is is that union officials are having trouble winning elections now. So they've got to put a finger on the scale to make it easier for them to basically intimidate workers across the country. The idea of the right to organize, Joe Biden knows that he's not telling the truth. And, uh, well, maybe he doesn't know that he's not telling the truth, but certainly those around him certainly know that. And the right to organize is something protected already in federal law. But, Mark, are unionizations on an upward trend now? Because last year, I think we saw a resurgence. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that the mainstream media promotes this notion that somehow there's this huge surge in unionization. And most of it's uh, headlines created by those uh, corporate media st structures that, that are in involved in and interested in increasing the progressive power of union officials. The fact of the matter is union density in the American workplace actually decreased in 2022. It's down to just 6% of the private sector workforce in America today. And union officials talk about, you know, the, the favorability of unions is at an all time high. But in that very same Gallup poll that the unions basically use as, hey, everyone should be able to unionize, the same group of people answered a question saying, would you be interested in joining a union? Would you vote for a union? Only 11% said they were highly favorable in voting for a union. And Mark, to your point, from what I see, do you even need this pro-act legislation? I mean, just compare states that have right to work laws versus states that don't. Yeah, absolutely. The 27 right-to-work states have basically doubled the growth of private sector employment than the states that still allow forced unionism. But the bottom line is this, the growth, the investment, the opportunities for young Americans and folks in their, in their main income years is coming from states that have right-to-work laws like Texas, like Florida, like Indiana, like Michigan, like Wisconsin. Those states, uh, five states in the last 10 years or 11 years, excuse me, have passed right-to-work laws. That's where the growth, that's where the investment is. And, and anyway, union officials kind of holding on to this 100-year-old labor policy that gives them unique powers over workers is something that's going to be in the dustbin of history probably sooner than they think. All right. Thank you very much, Mark Mix and RTW. Pleasure having you on. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Going to commercial now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, lawmakers demanding answers from a Chinese fast fashion retailer asking if there's forced labor in its supply chain. An investment fund that invests in emerging markets, but just not China. The company tells us why and what risk they see in putting your money in the country. Chinese fast fashion retailer is in the hot seat over its business practices. The company is called Shein, known for its inexpensive, trendy streetwear and robust online shopping platform. U.S. Senators Bill Cassidy, Elizabeth Warren and Sheldon Whitehouse are demanding answers about its supply chain. This is after reports accusing the company of selling clothing made using Chinese slave labor. In a letter, the lawmakers said Americans may be unknowingly purchasing clothing made using forced labor from China's Xinjiang region. They noted Xinjiang produces over 85% of China's cotton and 20% of the world's cotton. Besides human rights concerns, tensions between the U.S. and China is behind a recently launched investment product. 
It's called the Emerging Markets X China ETF. This product is by Strive Asset Management. Strive is an Ohio-based asset management firm. It's co-founded by Vivek Ramaswamy, who wrote the book Woke Inc. and Anson Freericks. The funds cover major emerging markets like India, Taiwan, South Korea, and Saudi Arabia, but excludes China. Strive says, quote, China's autocratic regime, economic vulnerabilities, and military posture towards its neighbors, including Taiwan, create meaningful risks for global investors. The fund launched with $100 million from an institutional investor. For more on the fund, I spoke to Justin Danhoff. He's the head of corporate governance at Strive. Thanks for joining me, Justin. So let's just get right into it. The Strive Emerging Markets ex-China ETF. Why does this ETF exclude China in particular? Yeah, first of all, Don, thanks so much for having me on today. I really appreciate talking about what we're doing here at Strive. Um, what we're focused on with, with this new launch is we think that China risk is investment risk uh, in 2023. Something happened um, in October of 2022 that not a lot of folks in the investment community paid enough attention to from Strive's uh, perspective, and that is Xi Jinping assumed a third term and broke the chain of succession. Essentially, our concern from an investment perspective is that he's now unconstrained. Right. And so there's rising tensions between, you know, Taiwan, for example, rising global tensions that are, you know, percolating out of the CCP. And I'm proud to say from day one, Strive Asset Management has always said we will not operate as an asset manager in China, period, full stop. So excluding China, is this purely a business decision or is there something more than that? Yeah, it's a risk risk decision. Absolutely, um, you know every investor has to take a look at their their own you know risk uh, aversion, um, risk willingness to to engage in certain investments. And we just think that it's also interesting to note that other asset managers can't say that, right? What we do at Strive is we act as a voice and a vote for our shareholders. We are a pro fiduciary organization, and it's impossible to be a good shareholder, a good steward, a good fiduciary when you have the boots of the CCP on your neck. And other large asset managers, they have the boots of the CCP on their neck because of their operations in China. And so they don't talk about China risk as much because they operate there or at all, frankly. Yet these are some of the same asset managers that moralize to Americans and American companies here on issues such as DEI and ESG, that's Environment, Social, and Corporate Governance, where they try and move social issues through business and through their proxy voting and engagement here in the United States. They say things like climate risk is investment risk, which is why they push on the E of the ESG, the environmental issues. Yet again, they don't talk about the China risk, especially when it comes to some of those very same issues. Um, you know, China's relationship with the environment and building, you know, coal-fired power plants all the time. The S of ESG is social. Um, they don't speak out against, you know, the slave labor in the uh, Xinjiang province, for example, yet they moralize here to American companies. Strive doesn't have those conflicts of interest, and that way we can act as a proper steward and a proper fiduciary here in the United States. So to put it very simply, what does this risk translate to for customers? Yeah, um, look, we are part, part of our mission at Strive is to educate. 
we, we, we like to listen and we also like to educate investors on um, how their capital is being used. And in many ways, what's happening here is there's a promotion of values rather than value. And Strive, our you know, North Star is to promote value. And that's what we're gonna do um, with our voice and our vote to engage with you know, the underlying companies uh, in all of our holdings. And so China risk is investment risk in 2023. And part of our mission is to educate the investment community about that. All right, thank you very much, Justin Denhoff, Strive Asset Management. Pleasure having you on. Thank you. Have a great day. And a disclaimer, no one working on this business news program has invested in this ETF fund. And this is the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. I'll see you tomorrow.